Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. If this is your first time here at Hill City, uh, let me welcome you. My name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team here and uh, grateful that you're here today. Um, This is Baptism Sunday, though we don't have any in this service. Um, They're all having in the next service, so sorry. Um, The excitement's in the other one. but it's an exciting day um, to see some middle schoolers get baptized and hear them, watch them publicly profess their faith in Jesus. So it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And uh, this is also a National Adoption Month. And I want to show you a video. Um, part of like the heart of who we are as a church is we've been deeply involved in foster care here in the city. And, uh, and so I want you to see this video from Virginia Kids Belong. Uh, and then I'll just give you a direction uh, after that. So let's take a look. So, um, you know, we've been involved in this for several years, you know, at this point, and uh, have done a lot uh, in, with folks. That we have, we've had folks who um, decide that they want to be a foster care parent. Um, they, we have a lot of folks who come on to, like, wrap around uh, families, and, and, and then there's prayer folks, and, like, supporting in so many different ways. Um, but today, on the partner spotlight on your way out, Virginia Kids Belong is here, and they'll be here all month. Uh, and so on your way out today... Um, just stop by and talk to them and see what might be a way that you can be involved and, and to truly like open up your heart and see what God might want to do and, uh, and how you might be able to help. Um, what's interesting about this is um, this is something that we could put an end to like in our city realistically. And, uh, and so this is something that we can uh, get involved in. And so on your way out, um, feel free to talk to Virginia Kids uh, Belong folks, and we'd love to get you involved in what we have going on uh, here. Um, so we're in this uh, series called Just Ask, and we're um, talking about prayer. And, um, you know, originally, um, this is supposed to be a completely different series, and uh, then we're going to have, like, this big Advent series that had, I'd already had planned, and then uh, just through prayer, decided we need to talk about prayer more, and um, that this needs to be um, something that gets ingrained in us. And so this is the third week uh, that we've been uh, talking about it. And this week, I was thinking about how, um, uh, did you guys know that there's political stuff happening? Yeah, it was like an election. And, uh, and you know, the, the four-letter F word that, uh, not that one, the four-letter F word, that strategy that uses, um, that politics uses fear. And um, what's interesting is when you take a step back and look at our culture, it is anxiety-ridden. It is um, the level of fear that is around uh, so many different topics is, is crippling to people and how to begin to engage. And, and I started thinking about like, all right, what does this like look like for us to, because like the church and Christians, you know, um, there's this book, wonderful book called uh, A Non-Anxious Presence um, by Mark Sayers um, that came out last year. And, and uh, he details out how I, like that is supposed to be the church, this non-anxious presence within communities that um, in the midst of turmoil and chaos and, and everything that the, that the church and, and those that make up the church, so the, anyone who calls himself a Christian, uh, you're supposed to be a non-anxious presence um, in the world around you. And that, um, that, that the communities everywhere should be so thankful that there are churches around that kind of settle everything. That there are churches around that actually step in and, and they're like, oh, thank God, literally, the Christians are here. There should be so thankful. It's like, oh, man, everything is, is so chaotic. But, but these Christians, man, there's something different about them. They step into this world. They step into what they see around us. They step into the chaos um, that is, is what is our political system and the, everything else to do. But they step in and it's like, 
whoa, they are a non-anxious presence here. How wonderful it is that these Christians are, are here. Now, does that describe the church and every Christian? Oh, man. Not so much, right? However, when we step into this, I was... This whole week, I was like, oh, man, we're, you know, you're supposed to pray for government. You know, we see that in a few different, a few different points of scripture and pray for our leaders. And I was doing that this week. And, and uh, but I was like, but at the core of it, unless we're people who pray prayers of wisdom and faith and become people who, who not only pray that way, but become that way, if we're not those kinds of people and entering into it like we should, then all we'll do is add to the, the anxiety. And all we'll do is add to the chaos. All we'll do is add to the layers of fear that people are trying to, to put in. Um, I was uh, reading a, a book called uh, The Voice of the Heart uh, um, a few weeks ago, and um, we're going to do a, a big series on this in uh, January. Um, but he, Chip Dodd, this guy talks about fear, um, that fear come, can reveal itself in, in two different ways, that there's a gift to fear, and then there's an impairment to fear. Um, fear can actually bring about um, this idea of uh, wisdom and faith inside of you, or a fear can bring anxiety. And so um, a lot of times we, you know, um, any guys have those like, you know, faith over fear. Remember those little moments, like those t-shirts and whatever. If you're a millennial woman, you probably have one. Um, but like the, um, but like, I don't know that that's actually like a good thing in theory because we miss out on the, the gift of, of fear. And that fear can actually bring wisdom into us. That fear can bring uh, a great faith can be the result of it. However, if you start letting fear write a narrative, anxiety becomes the reality. And so even in these anxious moments and, and we get into these places, um, uh, the author ends up saying, hey, the greatest thing that you ever ask someone who starts, starts talking about anxiety in their life is, is, what are you afraid of? Well, why is that? Because then you can step in and start addressing the reality of what you're actually afraid of so that fear and that anxiety that you're now experiencing can move into wisdom and faith. And I started thinking about how often in our prayers... There are things that can be revealed, but ultimately, ultimately, that we as Christians should be people of great prayer, of wisdom, great prayer, of great faith. And I started thinking about this guy named uh, Elijah. Um, how many of you guys know Elijah? I've heard of Elijah in the Bible. It's okay if you haven't. I just want to get a read of the room. Um, Elijah is an interesting character in, in Scripture. Uh, he comes out in the Old Testament. So we're going to be in 1 Kings 18 and 1 Kings 19 today. It'll be a little different sermon because I'm just going to tell a story, Elijah's story today. I don't normally do it in this way. But Elijah is an interesting uh, person in Scripture. He's a prophet. He, he literally comes out of nowhere. All of a sudden in 1 Kings 17, it's like, and Elijah said, and you're like, well, where did he come from? And you know, it's a weird, we don't have like a ton of background on him. But Elijah was this prophet of God. And, uh, and so he received the word from God, and, and he would deliver um, this word uh, to the people of Israel. Um, God's people had been severely split up at that point in time. Uh, it had been split into two different kingdoms, a, a north and a south uh, kingdom. It's like, man, do we just repeat this whole thing all the time? Like this splitting of north and south. And, um, and so there, there's, there, the God's people are split up in this way. And uh, the kings of the north, um, man, they, they uh, just refused to follow God. They just, like, one after another, after another, after another, just refused to follow God. The South wasn't that much better, but they had a little bit going on there. And, um, and what ended up happening is, this, is Elijah comes in, and he's like, he's aggressive in tone, he's bold in his speech, he is speaking to the reality that uh, God's people, 
and uh, the kingdoms of that time had no longer wanted to serve God and love God and follow the, the heart of God. All they wanted to do was follow their own gods or be their own gods. And so they became, and see if this sounds familiar, incredibly violent, incredibly greedy, um, power hungry, um, wanted to do whatever they wanted to sexually. Um, it was so divisive in all that they did against people who didn't look like them, think like them, talk like them, act like them. Does this sound vaguely familiar, right? And so Elijah steps in. And uh, in, in the king at that time was this guy named Ahab. And uh, Ahab, he was kind of a weak dude. Um, he, didn't, he abdicated his responsibilities as king uh, a lot. Um, but he actually was really following his wife, uh, Queen Jezebel. All right? um, anyone have a family member named Jezebel? There's a reason for this, right? Jezebel is like this awful character in scripture. And no one's like, you know, we should name our daughter Jezebel. That'd be really great. And, um, and so Jezebel steps on the scene. And, and Jezebel, she's... Man, she's wicked, wicked, power-hungry, violent, greedy, all this stuff, like just like an awful person. And so she is like, ultimately, there's, they are so mad at Elijah, and Elijah's got this crew of people he works with, um, and he comes in and he steps in and like says things to, to these guys all the time about what God's going to do to them. And at one point in time, he comes up, and, and again, Elijah's story is just wild. He's had some wild miracles happen. Like, at one point, he's, like, fed by ravens, um, which is, like, again, this is, like, all in your Bible. Um, another point, um, he has this miracle with flour and oil where it doesn't ever run out for this, um, for this woman. He actually lays on a kid who had died, um, like, lays on him and prays for him, and the kid becomes resurrected. So his, his I mean, big miracles, big stories, right? And, uh, and so Elijah then, he's having all these things happen to him, and then he's, he's speaking against the powers that be, and, and they, Ahab and Jezebel want him dead. But at one point in time, uh, uh, we come up on this like pivotal piece where, where Elijah's always stepping, and you frequently see, man, Elijah's just like praying to God all the time in this big, powerful way, and God is interacting with him in these really cool ways. And we come up on the story where Elijah is, is really, it's, it's time of reckoning for not just Elijah, but Elijah gathers his crew of people, and he's like, it's the day of reckoning for Israel. They're in this drought that's going to last several years. Um, but he's like, now's the time that, man, I'm calling everyone to the mat. All these religious leaders, um, all these political leaders, like, I'm calling everyone to the mat. And he's like, now is the day of reckoning. And so we're going to pick Elijah's story up in 1 Kings 18. And he says this. He says, but as soon as I leave you, um, let me say one other thing. He is talking to this guy, Obadiah, right now. And um, Obadiah is one of Ahab's like, um, key men uh, in the palace. And this is Obadiah talking. He says, uh, he's, talking, he's looking at Elijah because all this cool stuff happens with Elijah all the time. And Obadiah, who loves God, he's, he's like, as soon as I leave you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you from who, to who knows where. When Ahab comes and cannot find me, uh, find you, he will kill me. Because this is how Ahab was and Jezebel, that, that's how they were. They're like, you talk to Elijah? All right, well, I'm going to kill you. And so he's like, yet I have been a true servant of the Lord all my life. And he says this to Elijah. And this is going to be important as you start seeing a narrative in Elijah's life. Obadiah says this. Has no one told you, my Lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets? I hid how many? Say it again. Good job. Of them in two caves and supplied them with food and water. And now you say, go and tell your master Elijah is here, which is a Think about this. Elijah's like, he comes up to Obadiah, and here's what he says. I need you to go tell um, Ahab, Elijah is here. Can you imagine announcing your presence like that? <laughs> like you came in today, and you're like, 
you go tell him Mike is here. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something like, so this is Elijah. He's like, tell him Elijah is here. And he goes, sir, if I do that, Ahab will certainly kill me. See, Elijah wants to tell Ahab his time has come. And so Elijah steps forward. Look, watch what happens. Elijah says, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family. So this is him talking to the kings now and to the the rulers. He's like, you and your family are the troublemakers. You have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. I want to pause there for a second because we start seeing, when I told you that Elijah like speaks with such confidence and boldness, he's doing this because the spirit of God is working inside of him. He's not doing this on his own for fame or for influence or to get more followers or anything. It's the heart of the spirit of God is in him in such a way that it stirs him up because what he sees is the people moving away from God. What he sees is that culture is overwhelmed, secular culture has overwhelmed the reality of what God has always desired them to be. And he sees it and it burns in his heart at such a level because the spirit of God, when we come to a point and then we see people walking away from God and we see people not obeying the commands of God and we see people moving in a direction that's actually going to move very far away from God, there should be something in our hearts. If the spirit of the Lord is really working in us, there should be something in our hearts that's like, that can't be. And I need to tell you about it. I can't let you live this way. I can't let you think this way. I can't let you continue to go on in this way. If it burns in our hearts and we see a grouping of people who call themselves Christians and we've been in their small group or we've been in their discipleship track or we've been in their community group or they come to church with us here, there should be something in our hearts that should be like, you can't live this way. It's not okay. You see, but when the Spirit of the Lord isn't moving... We let things go. And I'm not talking about being judgmental. And I'm not, if you guys have been around here long enough, you know I would never do that. And that's how being condemning to people, all in on people's process and being gracious in that. But there should be something stirring us that the Spirit of God moves in such a way that is calling us to something greater. And you want us to see it in people. So Elijah says, now listen, now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel. I mean, this is crazy. Can you, he's like, he's not saying like, hey, can you just bring a few folks? I got some things to show you. He's like, summon all of Israel who are supposed to be following God. Summon everybody and bring them here. Let's go to Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 450 or 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So this contest is about to begin and, and uh, what, he, what they're going to do is they're going to say, um, who, who, uh, who can bring fire down from heaven? Is it going to be this God Baal or it will be Yahweh, the Lord? And so, so Elijah's setting up this contest and he's like, so he goes, all right, you 850 prophets that, you know, bow to Baal and think Baal's it and, and um, let's see if he'll call fire down from heaven. Now, that might seem crazy to us, okay? And I get it. Like you, how many guys have had this experience before? <laughs> right? Like this isn't like a thing where you walk around and, and being, you know, anyway. But back then, this was actually a common thought. With the gods, they believed like when lightning and thunder would happen and when they believed that God, in particular Baal, would, would have the ability to throw down fire from heaven if his people commanded him to. And so this is like a very real core belief. This is not like some crazy story in the Bible. Like this is like how people thought about it. 
And so um, they believe this, right? So they all gather around and they start chanting and they start yelling and dancing and doing all, all these other things. And Elijah, in the midst of this, he's like, maybe he's busy because nothing's happening. At one point, he's like, he, it says this, it's, uh, maybe he's relieving himself, like he's taking a leak. Maybe he's doing something like that's taking him away from being able to throw fire down from heaven. And then Elijah steps forward and he looks at the people that were there to help him. And um, he goes, hey guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to dig this ditch around here and I want you to fill it with water. And so go get some water and, and, and bring it down here. And, and uh, they're at the, the base of this mountain. So they, they, they go and they get the water and they bring it back and then, and then they, they wait. And, and, and Elijah's like, hey, we're gonna do this again. We're gonna, I want you to do it again. I want you to do it again. And kind of fill everything up. And then here's what happens. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walks up to the altar and he prays. And, and again, I want you to see these prayers and, and, and hear how he's, he's praying with such great wisdom and faith. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. You see that? This is so important. Because a lot of times we see this, like the Whoa, 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 I don't want to ask God to prove something. I don't want, but, but listen, do you see where he's coming from? Elijah's coming from, this is like, I'm following you, God. I'm doing all the things that you want me to do and I'm obeying your commands and I'm stepping into this and, 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 and he has the ability in that moment to be like, so God, I need you to prove your reality to these people. See, unless we're in the space that we're like, man, I, I want all, all of me to follow God. I want all of me. And listen, I know none of us will do it perfectly, but if it's our heart's desire to follow God and follow his commands, you know what? We can step into prayer with such great confidence and wisdom and faith to say, God, would you come show yourself strong here today? We're doing all we can. We're doing everything that we can, but will you show yourself strong today? Um, this morning I was sitting here praying and as the band was warming up and, 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 and I was, as they were singing the freedom song, I was just praying that God, man, and looking over the seats, I was like, God, would there be freedom in this place? We've got people serving here this morning that are trying to lower the barriers and any walls that people might have walking into this building. God, we've been praying this week just about to, to experience who you are and God, would, would there be freedom experienced in this place today? To, to show yourself in such a way it's not about me and that prayer. It's not about anyone else who's praying. It's, it's like, God, would you reveal yourself? When we sing closer, it's like, God, there are people in this room who are hurting, going through a really diff difficult season for one reason or another. God, would, would they experience you in such a way that they feel like, I just need to be drawn into your heart? Because I know when, I, when I'm there, that's where, that's where I should be. We're, we're, what do we ask? We're, God, would you prove yourself to people today? Prove yourself to people today. And so he says, oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, oh Lord, are God and you have brought them back to yourself. And then here's what happens. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young ball. Isn't this crazy? I mean, this is in our Bibles, and it's like sometimes I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, there are some crazy stories in the Bible, but like if we really serve the God of all creation, like we take a step back and be like, he did this wondrous work that's kind of amazing. And he's like, it burns up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. 
And when all the people saw it, look what they did. They fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. So the prayers of wisdom and faith of who Elijah was at that point in time and the way that he interacted with God and the way that he was setting things up for God to move, God moves and the response of the people and the way that God moves was for them to pray and yell out, the Lord is God. I'm like, what? I get it, like, there's a miracle here and I get it that like, um, this seems outside of our normal way of thinking and I, and I get all of those things. But when reading this story this week, I was just like, man, but there's just something to the reality of him just praying this way. That in his prayer, it moves stuff. In his prayer, God moved. In his prayer, that something began to dramatically shift in the way people responded to who God was. It was in this prayer they began to experience something incredible. Just after this, they go up to the top of the mountain and again, they're in this three-year drought and uh, Elijah is with um, some people there and, and he prays seven times. And on the seventh time, they, they see this storm coming in the distance and so this drought is about to end. And I started thinking about in that moment um, that there are people in this room who have been praying a lot and have felt in this dry land have been praying in, in such a way that like, they're just wondering, is God gonna come through? Is God gonna come through? And they have this ability to continue to wait on the Lord, because why? Because they're full of wisdom and faith, but they keep praying. And I was just like, for some of you in here today that have been wondering if this famine is gonna end in your life, I really believe that the little storm cloud of rain that's coming to fertilize everything is coming for you in your life. And so Elijah prays and he sees it and he comes and he's like, hey, y'all, we got to get back. A storm is coming. And it's this rain that they've been uh, waiting for. And, um, and if you guys know this part of the story, it says that he runs ahead of the, chapter, uh, the chariot. Um, some people think that he had super, super speed, right? He was running faster than the chariot. That's not actually what the passage says. It just says he was just running in front of the chariot. So I don't want to spoil anything that you thought he was in the Olympics or something. But he, was, he just was running ahead of the chariot and they, they'd go in. And it's this incredible story. And you think, whoa, man, look at Elijah. And so we have Elijah's timeline of life. And you can kind of see it like this. He's fed by ravens. He's got these miracles of flour and, and, and the children. The Yahweh versus Baal, the, the contest we just talked about. He prays for seven times for rain. He speaks again against Ahab and Jezebel. And then here's what ends up happening. They want to kill him. Because you've gone against their gods. And so... Their gods are, are power and money and sex, basically. And guess what the gods are today? Power, money, and sex. And so to step in, and we see this all the time, to want to speak against any of those things, guess what will happen? People will want to silence you. People will want to like, make things really hard for you and everything. But this is what Elijah did. And here's what we see in Elijah's life. He prays with confidence. And these, this is what it looks like with prayers for wisdom and faith. He prays with confidence. He prays with hope. He prays with belief in the miraculous. He prays with a trust that God will be proactive, reactive, interactive. We see this all throughout scripture. That God is proactive. We even see this in, in the creation story. Like he's proactive. He proactively creates things, right? Um, he interacts all the time. 
but he also reacts to things too. And this is the way that Elijah is, is praying. And then he has a heart for renewal for the people. He's like, I want you to come back to God. Like the renewal of the city. Like that's the, that's the heart of what he's actually trying to accomplish. And the prayers of wisdom and the prayers of faith, like that's what it begins to look like inside of us. And we begin to be able to, to pray. And then what happens is we have this incredible um, ability to wait for the Lord to work. How many of you guys have ever tried to outwork God? Every day. Every day, right? <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Every day. But this, the prayers of those who have wisdom and faith, it's like mm, something else begins to shift in them. And they have this ability to, to wait on the Lord. How does Elijah get here first? Um, he's able to do this because his heart, and you see it in his prayers, there's a gratitude for the way God has moved in his life. Um, there's a way that uh, he, he begins to understand and remember the way that God has moved. And so a good practice in our prayers then is to be, what, have some time of gratefulness. Even in the midst of your struggles, the midst of your pain, it's like, oh, God, thank you. You put these people in my life. Thank you, God, the way you've come through. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you. Right? What are you doing? You're setting up this heart of gratitude that enables us to pray in a way that's like, ah, oh, we're trying to step into this relationship with God. You can, you can be mad and angry and feel like you've lost everything and, and feel like you're, you're super mad at God even. You want to yell at God. It's like he understands that reality. That's okay if you've done that. But at the same time, it's like the reason that God, you can do that with God is because why? He loves you so much. He wants what's best for you. And so even in your anger and even in, even in your time where you feel like so lost and it feels like the drought is all around you, it's like, yeah, but he loves me so much. So I actually can voice my frustration. I can voice my anger. I can voice my pain. Those are prayers of people with wisdom and faith. But here's the interesting about Elijah. I want you to see the last part of the story, and I'll run through this part quick. But Jezebel wants to kill him. And something begins to shift in Elijah. That fear that was once a gift that led him to wisdom and faith actually moves him into being someone who is, has anxiety and begins to run away. Watch what happens in the next story. He says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba in the town of Judah and he left his servant there. Hmm. It's interesting. He, he's doing this all in an interesting way. He now is running and fleeing. And you think to yourself, dude, you just saw fire from heaven and you're running from a woman? It doesn't make any sense, right? He says, then he went... Uh, he left his servant there. Then he went, how did he go there? Huh. Into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Man, these prayers sound different now, don't they? There's a cool part to this prayer, which is he shows us his humanity. Um, this isn't like a condemning element. Like if you've ever prayed like this, um, man, what was you or whatever. Uh, we see the humanity of Elijah, that his life began to change so dramatically that his prayers also started to change. He got in a space, in a headspace where, where man, he moved into a different, um, a different emotional state and his prayer began to change. 
and began to do um, all this stuff uh, alone too. And so um, when you begin to see like what loneliness can do, this is, um, oh, I'm sorry, let me get this part first. Uh, the angel of the Lord came again to him and said, get up and eat some more. So even in the midst of this, and even in the midst of his prayer that we would actually consider him suicidal at this point in time, even in the midst of this, and even though his prayers are like this, he, he is stepping in the angel, and God is still working with him, and the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, get up and eat some more. What was he trying to say? Hey, don't just sit in this. You got to get up. You got to move. You got to feed your body. You got you to do the right things, right? And he's like, he got up, he ate, and he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. I wish I could talk about that verse in and of itself, but I'll go down a random tangent. Um, but it's a, there he came to a cave where uh, he spent um, the night. I want you guys to see this too. Loneliness. The loneliness, a, a gift of loneliness, um, again from, from that book, um, the gift of loneliness is intimacy with God and others in solitude. Because you, you see it and you feel it and you want it. The impairment to loneliness is apathy and you get in this loop. Have you guys ever felt like you got stuck in a loop of bad decisions? In a loop of, like, you get stuck in this loop? Um, or uh, indifference or emptiness. And you begin, so that emptiness is like, man, uh, you want to basically consume everything in front of you because nothing's worth it. And so you take advantage of people, you take advantage of things, but really what's happening is there's this loneliness that's there. And so Elijah's experiencing this and, and his prayers begin to change. His prayers move from being so full of wisdom and faith and moving into that to all of a sudden, everything begins to change uh, inside of him. He starts doing everything uh, alone. Um, it, Kevin, you're not easily embarrassed, so I'm gonna ask you to do this. Um, will you do the wave by yourself? Go ahead. Woo! Yeah, all right, now sit down. He made that exciting. But if he were to do that 50 more times, you'd be like, I mean, stop it, Kevin, right? And even for Kevin himself, he'd be like, I don't want to do the wave by myself anymore, right? Why? Because doing something alone just doesn't make sense. And it starts to take you away from him. However, if everyone does the wave, Lacey, start it. And everyone's got to follow. Go. Yeah, yes. Wow. All of a sudden, it feels different, right? You could keep doing that because you're doing something together. You weren't meant to do things alone. So even in our prayers and even in the way that we begin to engage, it's like, man, I'm not meant to just do all this stuff alone. And we see that when we get in this place of isolation, when we get in this place of thinking my faith is just personal, when we get in that place that our prayers are just, you know, just about me, it's like you weren't meant to be that. You were, you were meant to be in community. You were meant to pray in community. You were meant to pray for community. You were meant to do all this stuff in community, which Elijah had actually moved away from him. So he comes up with this interaction with God, and God says to him, um, he, he goes on, the, on this travel, he's on, on the mountain, and God says to him, hey, um, why are you here, Elijah? And he asks him this question several times. And he says this, hey, I want you to go outside. I want you to step into the presence of God. It's a super cool moment in the story. And then here's what happens when Elijah does that. It says, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. 
When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now, you would think at that moment, you're like, what do the, the fire, the earthquake, and the wind, what do they all represent? The chaos of this world, okay? The utter chaos that leads to nowhere. It's like, mm, that's where you don't find God there. Where you find God is in the moments, um, if you've ever been in those chaotic moments and you get that moment of silence, you get that moment to breathe, um, you could be in great tragedy, or maybe you're going through, or maybe you found, um, even if you've gone through something tr- like traumatic or uh, tragic, or uh, whether that's relational or per- whatever, and you step in and, and everything feels like it's spinning out of control. It's like God's not that, but where God is is like in that moment where you can breathe. And you step into his presence. Now here's what we do, and we see the humanity, and I want you to see what Elijah does. Elijah you would think at that moment and be like, you're right, God. You're right. I've heard your name. I've heard it. I've heard it. I'm in your presence, right? But Elijah, look what he does. He doubles down on everything. He says, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. Do you remember the first passage I said? What was that number? 100. So he's got this distorted view on everything. Because he says, I'm the only one left. It's like Obadiah just told you a chapter ago, Elijah, however long ago that was, that he had saved at least a hundred. So we know that there's at least a hundred. There's more than that, but we know that. But his vision of what was around him was so distorted. And so he doubled down and everything everything began to change in him. In, In your brain, like when you let fear become the narrative that you kind of buy into, your brain actually shrinks. And um, you get this, your brain, when you move into that space, there's a part of your brain called the hippocampus. When that happens, your brain literally shrinks and you can, how you view the past is actually very distorted. And your brain doesn't allow you to imagine what the future could be. So this is why prayer becomes so important. We step into prayer because it's like, oh, if I'm coming in with wisdom and faith and trusting who God is, and then like, all right, then my brain can actually begin to operate the way that it should. There's this physical benefit to, to prayer and what it does in our life. But if we don't, here's what happens. Fear controls Elijah, and he became distracted, anxious, hurried, tired, disconnected, and centered on a false narrative. This is basically, if I were to say, what is our culture like? Man, when you step into prayer, Lord, you can come up. When you step into prayer, everything begins to change. And you step in with trust and with wisdom, and it's like everything begins to change. And you step into the space of prayer, and it's like, yeah, it might take a long time, but you do it with community. Can you imagine if in that moment with Elijah, instead of doubling down on what he thought the thing was, he came with a heart of confession and repentance if everything would have changed? God, I'm so sorry that I've doubted you. God, I'm so sorry I've lost sight on what you've done in my life. I'm so sorry that I don't want to be this way. I want to, I want to be someone who's confident and hopeful in who you are. See, Elijah wanted everything over because guess what? Elijah could no longer wait on the Lord like he could before. And that's a really big deal to have the confidence and trust to begin to wait on the Lord. You might be going through something unbelievably difficult. But do you have trust and hope that you can wait on the Lord? 
I want to give you three questions and I want to read a scripture passage together. Three questions. You can take a picture of this if you want them, but what are you afraid of that's impacting your prayers and perspective? There's something that you're afraid of. You're, you're afraid you won't be successful enough. So you don't have time to pray. Afraid you, uh, about how some people view you or your image. You're afraid you, you're, you're not going to meet someone. You're afraid, whatever the, the fear might be. How is that impacting your prayers? Or how does your life put God on hold? Do you live at, you know, at such a way that you're like, God, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. But are you living your life in a way that puts God on hold? And the third thing is, is the pace of your life preventing God from doing the work he wants to do in you? All of these things lend itself to the reality that we can't wait on the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40 says this. I want to leave you guys with this scripture and I want to challenge you guys to read this scripture during the week. Maybe go on a walk and just have this scripture. Walk in your office, walk outside, walk in your neighborhood, whatever. Go for a walk, have this scripture. They can let it play, you know, get the Bible app and they can read it to you. Let this sink in and, and just go every, week, every day this week. Just read through this. And something else, I, I bet you, every time you read through this, if you read through it slow, something else will stick out every time you read it. Something else that God's just like, ah, I want you to sit in this part for right now. It says this. Have you not heard? Come on, you guys can come back up wherever you are. Yeah. Have you never heard, have you never understood the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. So you think you can run and do this all on your own, but you can't. those who trust in the Lord will find strength, new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. We're going to sing that very passage here in this song. I want you guys to just sit with this for a second. Just your heads bowed and what God might be speaking to your heart. And then Lamont will, in the, in the band, will lead us in the song.